رحمة الله وبركاته بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والعاقبة للمتقين ولا عدوان إلا على الظالمين وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له إله الأولين والآخرين وأشهد أن نبينا محمدا عبده ورسوله المصطفى الأمين اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على عبدك ورسولك محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين ما بعد uh, Before we begin just, just uh, in case I forget um, sometimes what happens is when, when I speak there's a delay I think in, in the YouTube broadcast or in, 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 the, in the software that we're using So sometimes it's a few seconds before you hear what I say So I've noticed in the last couple of lessons what happens is I will sometimes ask towards the end If there's any questions uh, And then I pause, I wait But I think by the time you hear that and then you start typing in your question and send it to me I've already assumed that there's no questions and I've already concluded the lesson and I've noticed, I think, once or twice that there's been a question that's come in after we've ended the lesson. So when I just went back to the video a couple of days later, I saw that someone had sent in a message that I missed. If that does happen, uh, for whatever reason, you know, your question's too long or you, or you took you a couple of minutes to remember it or whatever else, please, if I don't get to it uh, at the end of a lesson, send it in at the beginning of the next lesson. So, for example, if there was a question last week that you put in that I didn't get around to for whatever reason, uh, please send her in now So send it in at the beginning of the lesson Inshallah ta'ala Or you just copy and paste it from last week's lesson If it was already sent in Whatever you do But the point is If you send it in towards the beginning It will be easier for me And just as a general heads up Because of that delay uh, You know it's one of the reasons Why I've kind of stopped asking so many questions And, and waiting for a response the, the, the gap or the delay Between you hearing, typing, sending it back Seems to be a long pause And so therefore um, You know it just kind of like Plays with the whole flow of the lesson so um, if you do have questions, you know, it'd be good as soon as you have them, as some of you do actually, some of you just type them in and send them in, and that way inshallah ta'ala we have them anyway. So if there was anything from last week, the week before that I didn't get around to for whatever reason, uh, you can just type it in and send it in inshallah ta'ala. You don't have to wait till the end of the lesson because sometimes at the end of the lesson, because of that delay, I've kind of signed off and, and I'm ready to conclude, and you've just probably heard me asking for questions. So that delay there's an issue there so that's something which uh, you should just keep in mind so last week alhamdulillah we uh, we did a number of verses from the tafsir of surah al-fajr and a couple of weeks ago we had started the passage of the surah which allah subhanahu wa ta'ala starts to give us the example of how allah azawajal punished a number of nations of the past and primarily there were three nations the people of ad the people of thamud and the people of pharaoh and last week we uh, we had already taken the people of Ad a couple of weeks ago, but last week we we took the verse concerning the people of Thamud, and Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says concerning the people of Thamud that they were people who jabu sakhra bilwad. They were people who were able to cut into and to carve into mountains and houses, and so therefore that's something which uh, you know which is um, which we know about the people of Thamud. We know that it's something which is still. In existence till today, we know that the Prophet ﷺ passed through the area on his way to the Battle of Tabuk. So it's something which is well established. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala goes on to the third of those three nations, which is the people of Pharaoh. And there is the Pharaoh of the Prophet Musa. And Allah describes them as being people who, who had awtad. And awtad are pillars and posts linguistically. But the scholars of Tafsir, as we mentioned last week, differed as to the exact meaning of this. So some of them said, for example, 
that it refers to the soldiers and the army of Pharaoh. And others from amongst them said that it is the physical posts and pillars that Pharaoh and his army used to use and his people used to use to torture and oppress others. So they would tie people up to them and they would oppress them or they would tie them between these poles and they would pull them and so on and so forth. They would use them as means of torture and oppression and harm. And yet others said that it refers to dwellings that they had, that these poles and posts were the the pillars and posts of certain dwellings or certain things that they would use for entertainment and for shade and so on. We mentioned uh, last week the statement of the teacher of our teacher, Sheikh Muhammad al-Amin al-Shaqiti, and how he considered that particular tafsir to refer to pyramids. Right? And we mentioned that important point last week, how uh, the Sheikh didn't go out of the tafsir of what the Salaf had said. Instead, he took the tafsir of one of them and he just simply said that I think that that's what they meant or what they were referring to. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then says, الَّذِينَ طَغَوْ فِي الْبِلَادِ He says, and this is uh, continuing in from, from the, the tafsir of last week, Allah then refers to all of these people, so the people of Ad, the people of Thamud, and the people of Pharaoh, and he says all of them were people of transgression, all of them transgressed in the land. And it's referring to their respective areas, their respective lands, that they committed a great deal of transgression uh, in those lands and upon those lands. As Allah says, that they did a great deal of harm, a great deal of corruption, a great deal of evil ensued because of the actions of these people. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, So your Lord sent upon them many different types of punishments because we know that the punishment of the people of Ad differs from the punishment of the people of Thamud and it differs from the the punishment of the people of Pharaoh. Each one of them, has their own type of adab. And so Allah Azza wa Jalla sent upon them forms of punishment. And we said that the scholars said, Sawt, Allah Azza wa Jalla, some of the Salaf said, Allah Azza wa Jalla has a number of sticks or a number of whips by which he punishes his creation, those that are deserving of that punishment. And so Allah Azza wa Jalla uses this in a general way. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala punishes sometimes by earthquake, sometimes by the earth swallowing people up, sometimes by floods and drowning, sometimes by a great cry from the heaven and a great wind that comes and, and crushes those people and so on and so forth. The point is that Allah has a number of different forms of punishment. And the word sawt, as some of the scholars of tafsir said, is used because whips and 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 uh, you know the whips that uh, and, and and the sticks that people used to beat with in olden days was considered to be the pinnacle of harm. It was the worst type of punishment someone to be flogged and lashed openly was considered to be the worst type of physical punishment that you could do, obviously, uh, other than death. And so it was the, the greatest type of punishment that people were familiar with, and that's why the Qur'an uses that word. Another scholar said is to refer to the fact that a salt or a stick or a whip is something which, which implies a repetition of punishment. If someone is lashed or someone is flogged, it's not usually once, but it is multiple times. And so these people were punished multiple times and some of the scholars therefore said that that punishment that they had in this dunya is only one type of that punishment because those people will again be punished will again be punished in the grave and then clearly they will be again punished in the fire of hell on Yom Al-Qiyamah for the rest of eternity. So we are now on verse number 14. Verse number 14. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in verse number 14 إِنَّ رَبَّكَ لَبِالْمِرْصَادِ and Allah Azza wa Jal, in this verse, he says, in the translation of Professor Abdul Halim, your Lord is always watchful. 
Muhsin Khan, Verily your Lord is ever watchful over them. Uh, Mufti Taqi, Surely your Lord is ever on the watch, and Sahih International, Indeed your Lord is in observation. The Arabic of this verse, so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, after mentioning these three different uh, nations, the people of Ad, the people of Thamud, the people of Pharaoh, and as we mentioned, I think last week, I think we mentioned this, if I remember correctly, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when He speaks about their destruction, He simply says that they were destroyed in different manners. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not give the detail, the detailed description of their punishment and their destruction. Rather, that is left for elsewhere in the Qur'an. Like in Surah Al-A'raf and in Surah Hud and in other various parts of the Qur'an. Here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala simply says that they were punished. And then Allah says, إِنَّ رَبَّكَ لَبِالْمِرْصَادِ That indeed your Lord is ever watchful over them. The word mirsad, because that's the word that is, uh, you know, that is that people uh, are most likely to not understand in this verse. The word mirsad comes from the word rust. And rust, you uh, know, Al-Qurtubi says that it is a path. And others such as Ibn Atiyah and Ibn Ashur and others say that it is mawdi'ur rust. And what it refers to are rust, and, and the general meaning is, as you have in all the translations here, and that is that Allah Azza is ever watchful, Allah Azza is always observing, Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala is always aware of what people do. But the actual linguistic meaning, this is what we are referring to now, the actual linguistic word of rust refers to an observation point. So when Ibn Atiyah, Ibn Ashur and others say Mawdi'ur Rust, what they refer to is a place where people would often stop to watch other people. So for example, uh, you know, just, just as, an, and as an example, not, not of the tafsir of the verse, but just as an example to bring this meaning uh, closer to our minds, it would be like a watch tower. Right? So there's a place where you observe people coming and people going and what they do. That is called a position of rust. A rust means it is a place where you can look upon, watch, observe the comings and goings and dealings of others. That's what it's referring to. And that's why Al-Qurtubi Ta'ala says that it is the tariq. It is the pathway, meaning that you stop on the pathway because that's where you see people coming and you see people going and you see people doing what, what it is that they're doing. That is the original Arabic meaning of the word, the linguistic meaning of the word rust. The meaning in the verse of the Quran, however, is, as we will mention now from the statements of a number of the Salaf and, and a number of the scholars with tafsir, is that it's referring to Allah Azza wa always being able to observe, always watching, always knowing everything that these people do. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at the beginning of this surah, Allah Azza wa took an oath by a number of, a number of things. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said concerning these, uh, concerning those oaths that Allah Azza wa took, that it is only the people of intellect, only the people of, 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 of sound mind that benefit from those oaths and those signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And if a person doesn't have that clear, pure heart and that clear, pure mind by which to think and contemplate and reflect, then it doesn't matter whatever else Allah has given to them in terms of blessings, in terms of power, in terms of wealth, in terms of fame, in terms of everything else that they may have. None of that will benefit them in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is why Allah then simply mentions a number of nations and how the strength that they had, as the Shaykh Muhammad al-Amin al-Shanqiti said that the, uh, the three descriptions that are given in this surah of Wa'ad, Thamud and the people of Pharaoh, all of them refer to matters of strength. Whether it's Ad and the structures that they had, or Thamud and their ability to carve dwellings into mountains, or Pharaoh and his pillars and posts by which he would do certain things. 
all of those refer to what what is the common denominator between them they are all signs of strength and power and might yet none of that strength none of that power none of that might benefited those people when they turned from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and so Allah is saying that he is ever watchful over them despite what it is that they claim to have and what they claim to do and what they claim all of that stuff that they had Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that he was ever watchful over them so when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent upon them his sawta adab the many forms of punishment that he gave to each one of those nations each one a different form of punishment that he gave to them Allah did so because he was watchful over them he was observing them their deeds were being recorded everything that they did was being held upon them for account and we know that when it comes to oppression it is one of those sins as is mentioned in the sunnah it is one of those sins that Allah brings forth its punishment in this life as well as what is left for those people on the Day of Judgment in the next life. It is one of those sins, there are certain sins that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brings forth as punishment. From them is the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. By the way, for those of you that, that, that followed our Isnad program that we were doing at Greenland Masjid, uh, last time around we did a number of books on the importance of knowledge and so on. Inshallah ta'ala, next month in, in a few weeks time in mid-March when our next course is, uh, one of the books that we're going to be re- doing a reading of is the book Birul Walidain, inshallah. One of the books that we're planning is the book on honoring the parents by Imam al-Bukhari, ta'ala. It's one of Imam al-Bukhari's shorter works. And it's a collection of hadith that primarily speak about the issue of, uh, of, of family ties and kinship and respecting and honoring your parents. From the hadith that he mentions, and it is a well-known authentic hadith anyway found elsewhere as well, is that the Prophet told us, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, that there are few sins that are more likely for a person to have their punishment hastened into this life as well as what will remain for them in the next life then cutting off the ties of kinship and oppression so oppression is one of those things that when it is grave and it is carried out extensively that person doesn't turn away from Allah Allah doesn't turn back to Allah with repentance Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala hastens its punishment in this life as well as what is left in the next life and that is because it is one of the worst types of sins that a person can perform and that's why shirk is confirmed, confirmed in the Quran as being a type of zulm, a type of oppression. Inna shirka la azim. And that is why in the hadith al-Qudsi, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said that Allah said, Ya ibadi inni haramtu dhulma ala nafsi wa ja'altuhu baynakum muharraman fala tadhalamu. O my slaves, O my servants, I have made oppression haram upon myself, Allah says. And I have also made it haram between you, so do not oppress one another. So it is one of the worst types of sins. And that is why Allah Azza negates this from him subhanahu wa ta'ala. He negates this attribute from himself subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that when Allah Azza wa is known that he punishes, he punishes through his wisdom and through his justice. So when Ad was punished, Thamud were punished, the people of Pharaoh were punished, they were punished out of justice. Because Allah Azza wa was Bil Mirsad. He was watching and observing them, holding them to account, recording their deeds. And when their oppression became so much, and it continued and continued and continued. That is when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala destroyed them. And that is always the case with every single ummah, every single nation, every empire, every civilization. When they get to that level where they think that they have conquered all and their oppression reaches a limit and transgression reaches beyond any limit for them to come back and turn back to Allah azza that is often when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's punishment one way or another comes upon them. And it's the same even sometimes in people's personal lives when they become so oppressive in the way that they are with their family and their friends and their relatives and so on and their arrogance and haughtiness takes them to such a level that is when often they find 
the calamities that befall them within their own lives. Even towards the end of time, if you look at the story of the people of Ya'juj and Ma'juj, the tribes of the nations of Ya'juj and Ma'juj, when they will come towards the end of time from the signs of Yawm Al-Qiyamah, and they come and they conquer the earth and they kill and they cause evil and rampage and corruption, when it is that Allah punishes them, the hadith says that when they have conquered everything upon the earth, they don't think there's anything left. One of them says, now that we have conquered the earth, let us conquer the heavens. So one of them will draw an arrow and he will shoot it into the sky and it will come back dripping with blood, the hadith says. And so that person will say, now we have conquered the heavens and earth. What are they saying? They're saying that essentially we've killed Allah, we've killed everything in the heavens. It is at that point that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will destroy them by sending small worms or insects in their necks that will completely destroy all of them. So it is a level of oppression. Once it gets beyond that level, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brings forth his punishment. And so this is an example of that. So Allah Azza wa Jalla says, Inna Rabbaka Labil Mirsad. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is watchful. Allah Azza wa Jalla is ever observing these people. And that is why Al Hassan al Basri Rahimahullah Ta'ala said in the tafsir of this verse, Inna Rabbaka Labil Mirsad Yaqulu bi Mirsadi Amali Bani Adam. Allah Azza wa Jalla is ever watchful and observing the actions of the children of Adam. And then Imam al-Bukhari, rahimahullah ta'ala, in his sahih, when he came to the tafsir of this verse, he said, Yilayhi al-Masir. That al-Mirsad essentially means that your return will be back to Allah. So he's referring not to the action of watching, but the end result of that watching, that observance, that recording, essentially that every one of us will return back to Allah Azzawajal, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will recompense us, reward us, punish us, us, punish us respectively for our deeds and what we accumulated in this dunya. So Ibn Atiyah, going back to the linguistic word of Rasti, he said, مَوْضِعُ الرَّسْتِ فَقَالَهُ اللُّغَوِيُّونَ إِنَّهُ عِنْدَ لِسَانِ كُلِّ قَائِلٍ وَمَرْصَدٌ لِكُلِّ فَاعِلٍ وَعَلَى هَذَا تَأْوِيلُ فِي الْمِرْصَادِ And then he starts mentioning different types of poetry. Ibn Atiyah says, therefore, the meaning of Rast is that place of observation. That is the linguistic meaning. And what it means here is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala observes the, the speech of every single person and the actions of every single person. So every time we utter a word, every time we commit an action, perform an action, it is something which is observed and it is recorded. And that is the meaning clearly that we know from elsewhere in the Quran. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, مَا يَلْفِظُ مِنْ قَوْلٍ إِلَّا لَدَيْهِ رَقِيبٌ عَتِيدٌ There is not a single word that is uttered except that there are with that child of Adam, that person, angels that record, angels that are ever watchful. Al-Imam Al-Tabari, uh, rahimahullah ta'ala, he said, that Allah Azza wa Jalla is saying to his Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam in this verse that indeed, O Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, these stories that we have just mentioned to you, meaning the story of the people of Ad and the people of Thamud and the people of Pharaoh and the different types of kufr that these people had, the disbelief that they had, indeed Allah Azza wa Jalla was ever watchful over them in terms of all of the actions in the dunya and in terms of therefore what will take place with them in the akhirah when they are thrown up into the fire what will take place with them on the Day of Judgment when they will be thrown thrown into the fire. And he said that some of the scholars such as Ibn Abbas said, Al-Mirsad means بِحِيثُ yara wa yasma That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows what it is that Allah Azza wa is referring to, meaning that Allah Azza wa hears all and that he sees all. And others from amongst the scholars said that it refers to Allah Azza wa ever being watchful over the people of oppression. And Al-Dahaq said concerning this verse, he said that Allah will sit on the day of judgment and he will place his throne upon the fire. And it will be said 
no one will be able to pass this point who has upon them oppression. Meaning, as we know, that the fire of hell is the stage that comes before Jannah, before what is called the Qantara and Jannah. Allah Azza wa will place, as we know, there is a there will be a bridge upon the fire. That bridge is, as the Prophet described, thinner than a strand of hair, sharper than the point of a sword. And it will have great claws upon it that will take people that are due to be thrown into the fire and it will drag them into the fire. And that is the meaning of the verse in which Allah says in the Quran, وَمَا مِنْكُمْ إِلَّا There is not anyone from amongst you except that they will traverse that bridge. That bridge, each person depending on their level of Iman, they will traverse and, 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 and pass over that bridge in different speeds and at different rates. So the one who has the greatest level of Iman will pass by it. The Prophet ﷺ described the speed by which people will, 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 will pass by it. Some of them will be like lightning, as fast as lightning. Some of them like in the blink of an eye. Some of them like the fastest horse. Others will be running, others will be jogging, others will be walking. Some will be crawling and some will simply take one step and pause and wait for some light to appear from their Iman to take another step and so on and so forth. And some of them as they are walking, the claws will come and they will they will strike them but they won't pull them down meaning that they will be in a very extremely difficult place all of this is mentioned it is after that point so whoever passes over that bridge that is called the qantara the qantara is the stage where allah will then deal with the issues of the believers amongst themselves so these are the people of jannah they will go into jannah they will not be punished anywhere in the fire because there will be certain people of islam that will go into the fire for a short period of time and then Allah Azza wa Jal will bring them out and enter them into Jannah when their sins have been cleansed and purified. May Allah Azza wa Jal save us from that. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for the people who are meant to go straight into Jannah, they will be held at a place called the Qantara. And the Qantara is the place then that Allah Azza wa Jal will cause the people who are the believers, the people of Jannah, to settle the disputes that they have mutually between themselves. So the oppression that they committed, the evil that the, the, or the harm that they committed to one another, that is settled there. And Allah will forgive and that will be there. Therefore, the place where they will establish their stations in Jannah and their levels of Jannah. But those people will go into Jannah. So the statement of the Haq is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when he says, Inna rabbaka labil mirsad. Yes, he is ever watching in the dunya. On Yawm Al-Qiyamah, it means that Allah will say, no one will pass beyond the bridge upon the fire who has any oppression upon them. And this is what he's referring to, and Allah knows best. In verse number 15, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala continues and he says, uh, let, me, let me just take a couple of these questions. Sumaira, when mirsad is to mean return, is it from the same root or a different root to watchful rasada? No, so when, when Imam al-Bukhari said, Ta'ala, that refers to his returning, it's not referring to the linguistic meaning, but it's referring to the end result of Allah being watchful. What is, what is the end result of Allah being ever watchful, that the angels record everything? The end result is that you go back to Allah and He holds you to account. So he's referring to that. He's not referring to the linguistic meaning. He's not referring to the word mirsad. He's referring to the tafsir of the word, meaning in terms of its end result. So we have, and this is very common amongst the scholars of tafsir. Sometimes the scholars of tafsir will give you a tafsir by giving you an example of what will take place. And sometimes the tafsir is not of what is the action that is taking place, but the result of that action. So for example, someone may say, 
you know, uh, uh, like some of the scholars said when it came to uh, when it came to some of the actions of, of uh, that are mentioned in the Quran and so on. Some of them said, for example, so someone says, for example, salah is that you, uh, you know, that you you pray, that you stand and you say Allahu Akbar and you read certain parts of the Quran and make ruku and so on. And others may say, no, salah is to attach your heart to Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, to speak to Allah Azza and address Him. And they're referring to a different aspect of salah. And some may say that no salah essentially means that you will enter into Jannah. They're referring to the reward of salah. And so each one of them is talking about salah, but they're talking about it from a different angle. So likewise here, an Imam al-Bukhari is referring to the word mirsad from a different point of view, from a different angle. So he's not referring to the linguistic meaning, but rather he's referring to the end result. And I hope uh, that is clear and makes sense. Uh, Mustafa is asking, if oppression hastens the punishment in the dunya, then how do we understand why so many oppressive rulers live their entire lives in luxury? There's a number of ways that we understand that. The first is that you see what you see as apparent luxury doesn't mean that they are living a life of luxury. Because how many people who are rich and wealthy actually live a life in which they are depressed and extremely sad and their life is just full of problems and woes and they never experience any type of happiness or any type of contentment or joy or tranquility. And that is sometimes worse. You know, it is worse than having you know all of that luxury with you if it doesn't bring you any type of contentment whereas the person who may not have much may doesn't have you know much in terms of materialistic wealth and possessions but they have happiness and contentment in their heart maybe that person is far better off that is one thing number two is that it's possible that those people who are rulers that Allah is waiting for them to commit oppression and oppression and oppression so Pharaoh, Ad, Thamud, all of these nations were not destroyed immediately but it was that they built it up over sometimes over decades Many, many years before they reached that stage that Allah Azzawajal oppressed them and punished them. And it may be and Allah Azzawajal knows best that sometimes those people, Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala has seen some good from them as well. So for example, in the respect of Muslim rulers, there are Muslim rulers who have oppression, but at the same time, they are, same time, they are doing good as well. Maybe they're doing some khayr and they're doing some good and they're doing, and Allah Azzawajal therefore sees their oppression, but at the same time, the reward that they get for the good that they do also has its place as well. And so that is why we leave these matters and affairs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because Allah azawajal is the one who is best in terms of judging people's intentions and people's actions and what it is that they are doing and not doing and Allah azawajal knows best. Verse number 15, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then continues and he says, فَأَمَّا الْإِنسَانُ إِذَا مَبْتَلَاهُ رَبُّهُ فَأَكْرَمَهُ وَنَعَمَهُ فَيَقُولُ رَبِّي أَكْرَمًا In the translation of Professor Abdul Halim, The nature of man is that when his Lord tries him through honor and blessings, he said, My Lord, he says, My Lord has honored me. And in the translation of Muhsin Khan, as for man, when his Lord tries him by giving him honor and bounties, then he says, My Lord has honored me. And Mufti Taqi, as for man, when his Lord tests him and thus gives him honor and bounties, he says, My Lord has honored me. And Sai International is very similar as well. And as for man, when his Lord tries him and is generous to him and favors him, he says, My Lord has honored me. This verse and the verse that will come after it, verse number 16, kind of have to be taken together. Well, they kind of have to be taken uh, together. Um, you know, like, and, and that's why inshallah ta'ala will do the tafsir of both of these verses um, because they are kind of like coupled together. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is now going to speak about a group of people or, or, or the general situation of people and how they view things and how their view of things, and this is very similar to the question that the brother asked a short while ago, how their view of things is very different to the way that Allah Azza wa Jal views them. 
how our standards as people in the dunya are very different to the standards that Allah has for us as his servants. So for humans, we look at things very openly, right? We see a person living in luxury, living in comfort. We look at wealth, we look at power, we look at fame. We look at all of these things. These are the things that we assess people by. So if someone has it, we consider them to be fortunate. And if someone doesn't have it, we consider them to be unfortunate. That is the very simple way that we look at. And that is why it is a natural human instinct or a natural human tendency to when you see wealth and those trappings of the dunya, to gravitate towards it. And if it's something which you can attain, for a lot of people, that, that, that attraction, the allure, is too difficult to suppress and to ward off. So most people will fall into it or they will gravitate towards it, or even if they cannot have it, but they know people who have it to be in their company, to be attributed to them, to be considered to be within that circle, is still a measure of having some of that or having some of the effects of that materialistic wealth. That is the way that people look. Whereas on the opposite side, if someone doesn't have it, they consider themselves to be unfortunate or other people consider them to be unfortunate. That person doesn't have wealth, they don't have fame, they don't have power, they don't have a nice house, they don't drive a nice car. That person doesn't seem like they get much in terms of the dunya. And the person who has a very, very narrow mindset in terms of the way that this stuff works will simply look at this and he will say that this person you know, claims to be someone who's worshipping God, close to God, wanting to please God. But at the same time, they don't seem to have. God doesn't seem to like them. God doesn't seem to want to give them anything. God doesn't bless them with anything. Whereas that person who's not worshipping God, enjoying life, does whatever he wants, acts the way he wants, doesn't care about any halal or haram, is rich and he's powerful and he's got everything that he wants in terms of materialism. And that is a very narrow mindset. It's a very narrow view. And one of the things that we are warned about generally in the Quran, but particularly in these two verses, now 15 and 16, is the way that people think and how Allah will then dismiss that. Ibn Atiyah, he said that Allah mentions now in this verse what the people of Quraysh used to be upon and what they would use as evidence to show how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala favors someone or he disfavors them. And that is that they would see wealth and materialism and children as a sign of, of being favored and those people that did not have any of this as a sign of being unfavored or disfavored. So this is what Ibn Atiyah is saying, similar to what we are saying, but he's saying that this verse clearly because it's a Meccan verse in the first and foremost instance it is referring to the people of Quraysh and that the people of Quraysh used to look at the Muslims and they would see their actions or they would see their actions on the one hand and what they had in terms of possessions and they would say how can these people be upon the straight path how can these people be people that are beloved to Allah when all that they have is you know they only have the things that or they have nothing actually they don't have anything whereas we the Quraysh have strength we have power, we have wealth, we have all of this. And we worship our various idols and our, our, our various gods. Ibn Qayyim says that Allah mentions the state of those people that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given to them plenty in this world and those people who have far less than them in this world. And he mentions subhanahu wa ta'ala that just because Allah gives to someone from this world, does not necessarily mean that it is ikram for them, that it is an honor for them. Nor does it mean that this person has a position of honor and love in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Just as the one who has very little, it does not mean that this person has a lowly status or that they have been belittled by Allah azza wa jal. But rather the one who is given much, maybe being tested by Allah, maybe the one who is being given a trial by Allah azza wa jal to see what he will do 
with those blessings just as the one with the calamities may also see seem in that way as well whether a person has a great deal or has a very less amount both of them are tests for those people a person is poor that can be a test as well so it's not just one way or the other it's not just the one that has the wealth that is always being tested rather poverty is a test as well anyone that has struggled that has had difficulty in terms of their finances if they have families and children and they have dependents they know how difficult that is and they know what kind of a trial and test it can be and that is why the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam would seek refuge in allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from al-faqr he would say that he would seek refuge in in poverty and there is a hadith in which the prophet sallallahu said seek refuge in it because there is something when a person is in poverty that they are more likely to lie and be dishonest and to do whatever they, it is that they can in order to gain that wealth because you're in a position of need and necessity and so if you think by making a lie or, or being dishonest, or do, and that's what a lot of people do, right? A lot of people do this in terms of their daily lives because they're hard up and it's difficult for them. So if they have to lie about their taxes or they have to lie about one thing or another, they're likely to do it because they're in that position of need and difficulty. And that is why the Prophet ﷺ used to seek refuge from the type of poverty. And that is the type of poverty that leads you to this. As for a person not having much, but they're content, and they're happy, or maybe they're just enough, they have, they're comfortable, that is something which is good, because the Prophet used to encourage people to earn what is enough for themselves and what is enough for their family. Both of these are tests and trials. The person who passes either test, the test of wealth or the test of poverty, is the one who in either and both of these cases does as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commands, that their wealth doesn't lead them to arrogance or pride or thinking that they have some type of, of, of uh, you know, God-given right to, to this wealth, and their poverty doesn't lead to them being despairing from Allah's mercy or thinking that they are unworthy of Allah's mercy or lead them to, to a position where they just become envious and jealous of everyone else who has give, been given that wealth as opposed to them. If in either of those trials it brings you closer to Allah, then that is good. And if in either of those trials it leads you away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then that is a sign of evil. And that is why amongst the companions of the Prophet wasallam, just as there were many who were poor, there were a good number of companions who were wealthy. The likes of Abu Bakr radiallahu an, and Umar, and Uthman, and Sa'ad, uh, and Abdurrahman ibn Awf, and many of the other companions as we know from the Ansar, who were extremely wealthy. Some of them very wealthy. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam himself experienced this with his first wife Khadija radiallahu anha because she was a woman of means and she had business and trade and, 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 and merchandise and so on. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam never said to Abu Bakr, or Abdurrahman ibn Awf or Uthman radiallahu anhu never said to them why are you having this wealth it's not good for you it's not something which is pious so sometimes the the very narrow restricted mindset that some Muslims have the role wealth should be shunned and it is evil or that you shouldn't be allowed to work for wealth is a a mindset that is also anti-Islamic it's not an Islamic point of view there were many great scholars of Islam who had Wealth. Imam Abu Hanifa was considered to be a wealthy man. Abdullah ibn Mubarak was considered to be extremely wealthy and prosperous. There were a number of the scholars of Islam who were known to have wealth. They were people of means and they were people who had businesses and trade and so on and so forth. Those scholars, it didn't belittle them from their status that they had that wealth. Just as the ones who were poor and didn't have much, also it didn't belittle from their status that they didn't have any wealth. And that is why the companions are amazing in this regard because you have the likes of Abu Bakr radiallahu an, but next to him is Bilal radiallahu an. You have someone like Uthman, but alongside him is someone like Suhaib al-Rumi, 
radiyallahu anhu ajma'in was Salman al-Farsi radiyallahu anhu. All of this shows to you that the companions were not people who were merchandise, wealth, materialistically driven. Because when you're materialistically driven, you try to get up and cozy up and come closer to the wealthy. Maybe they'll give you something. Maybe they'll help you. Maybe you'll be able to go and visit them in their houses and so on. No were those companions who had that great type of wealth extravagant in their wealth. You don't see Abu Bakr owning mansions left, right and center. Or Uthman having you know, amazing types of like, you don't see that type of extravagant display of wealth that sometimes unfortunately we see today amongst many Muslims. To live comfortably and to live in a good place and to live uh, in, in a comfortable, expansive, whatever you want to do in terms of your halal, wealth and how you want to spend it is fine. But to go overboard and to be extravagant is something which the Sharia doesn't like and it is not something which is recommended because rather those means should be used for what is more pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so Allah Azza wa Jalla in these verses that these scholars are mentioning Ibn al-Qayyim and Ibn Atiyah and others that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is giving this simple mindset. He is, he is displaying to us the mindset of those people who simply look through that very narrow lens of view and that is that if you're given good or you're given blessings, it means that Allah loves you. If you're not given blessings uh, in terms of materialistic blessings, then it means that you are in disfavor. And Imam al-Shawkani said something very similar. He said that Allah Azza wa Jalla, after mentioning that he is ever watchful over everyone, he speaks now about the different circumstances of his servants and his slaves. When some of them receive good and others from amongst them receive harm and how it is that each one of them responds in that way. And Sheikh al-Shanqiti says something very similar. Allah Azza wa Jalla mentions here how giving and how withholding, both of them are trials and tests from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Imam Al-Qurtubi says, فَأَمَّا الْإِنسَانِ Then as for the human or as for the person, Imam Al-Qurtubi says that it's referring primarily to the kafir, the disbeliever. And he mentions that some of the scholars of the Salaf uh, said that it's referring in the primary sense, at least primarily, to certain people from Quraysh, such as Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhu saying that it's referring to Utbah ibn Rabi'ah, uh, ibn Sa'ib saying that it's referring to Umayyah ibn Khalaf, Muqatil saying that it's referring to Ubay ibn Khalaf. All of these people are from the, as we know, the noblemen, the chieftains, the leaders of Quraysh. And so it's referring to these people in the first instance, according to some of these examples. But clearly, the verse is general for everyone. And it is not only general in terms of it being general for the disbelievers, but it is also a reminder and a warning for the believers because there are many people, many Muslims, who often fall into the same issue and into the same trap. Ibn Atiyah said that Allah in these verses he speaks about the vast majority of the general state of the disbelievers when it comes to the way that they are referring to and that is why Allah uses the word insan referring to all people rather than saying Umayyah or one person or another he says people in general, man in general so that it would include them and it would include any other than them who also fall within this description in this verse therefore it is the in verse number 15, it is the receiving of blessings. If Allah honors someone, He blesses someone, meaning by giving them wealth. By giving them wealth. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, إِذَا مَبْتَلَاهُ رَبُّهُ فَأَكْرَمَهُ أَكْرَمَهُ He gives them ikram, He honors them by what? what? As most of the scholars of Tafsir said, honors them by giving them wealth. When He gives them other types of blessings, يَقُولُ رَبِّي أَكْرَمَكْ Then that person will say that my Lord has honored me. Ash-Shawkani, rahimahullah ta'ala, he says, فَيَقُولُ رَبِّي أَكْرَمًا Arab, he says that my Lord has honored me. Happy with what it is that he has received. 
and pleased with that which Allah Azza wa has, with that which he was given without thanking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So he's pleased and he's happy, but without thanking Allah Azza wa nor with it ever coming upon his mind that perhaps the blessings that he has received are in actuality trials and tests from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the way that he must overcome these trials and tests is the way in which he uses that wealth and those blessings that Allah Azza wa has given to him. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Imam al-Shurkani wa ta'ala is saying that most people who receive wealth, who receive power, who receive fame, they don't ever stop to think that maybe actually this is a test. Maybe actually this is a problem. Maybe I need to think very carefully and deeply before I just go on a spending spree or I go and do whatever it is that I think I am entitled to now do because I have that wealth. Right? And that is perhaps the difference, and Allah Azza wa knows best, between the person who has a great deal of wealth suddenly. They're given you know, a million pounds or two million pounds, and the first thing they start to do is spend it upon you know, the latest cars and flying across the world. and Not because necessarily those things are haram, but it shows to you the way that they think and what it is that they will immediately respond to. As opposed to, for example, when you look at the hadith uh, of the Prophet wasallam, where the Prophet speaks about needing charity. And Umar had come into some wealth at that time. So he said, O Messenger of Allah, today I have bought for you half of my wealth and want to give it in charity. Or the other hadith in which Umar comes and he says, O Messenger of Allah, the most beloved of my wealth that I have received is the wealth that I have in Khaybar. So I want to give this for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So they would come into wealth which would be extremely, you know, it's, it's, it's a great deal of wealth. It is prosperous in terms of their condition and their state and their time. And despite having that great amount of wealth come to them, they're looking for what's the best way that I can use this to come closer to Allah. How do I build my akhirah? What can I use this for in terms of building up my good deeds and coming closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? And that is the difference between someone who has that mindset because they know that that wealth is a test from Allah Azza wa Jal, and at least part of that wealth, there is a right of Allah that is due upon it. And that due is something which they would look at first before spending it upon or in any other way and means. And Imam Al-Tabari said that Allah Azza wa Jal is saying here that Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala, when He gives someone, He tests them. And Allah Azza wa Jal uses the word bala. فَأَمَّا insanu إِذَا مَبْتَلَىٰ and ibtila is a test, but the word bala also means calamity because often for many people their test is a calamity because they fail the test or they're unable to overcome the test in a way that is pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so Allah Azza wa says that when they are tested فَقْرَمَهُ mal, and then Allah honors them by giving them mal and giving them other types of, 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 of blessings وَنَعَمَهُ and Allah Azza wa further blesses and honors them by not only giving them wealth, but giving them plentifulness in terms of those blessings that he gives to them. Then that person is extremely happy with this, and they refer it back to Allah Azza wa honoring them. And Ibn Kathir, rahimahullah ta'ala, says something which is very similar, and he says, rather, what they, feel to real, what they fail to realize is that this is a test and a trial from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then in verse number 16, which is, you know, very closely linked because this is now the opposite situation. This is now the opposite scenario of the person who doesn't have much. And it's essentially the same person who when they're given something will respond in one way. And when it's removed from them or it's withheld from them or it is taken away from them, they respond in a very different way. But when he tries him through the restriction of provision, he says, my Lord, 
has humiliated me. And that is the, tafsir, the, the translation of Professor Abdul Halim. Uh, Muhsin Khan says, but when he tries him by straightening his means of life, he says, my Lord has humiliated me. And Mufti Taqi says, but when he tests him and thus straightens his provision for him, he says, my Lord has disgraced me. And in Sahih International, but when he tries him and restricts his provision, he says, my Lord has humiliated me. So now this is the same person. At one time they were wealthy, at one time Allah Azza blessed them, at one time Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave them, gave them honours and blessings. And so they said, my Lord has honoured me. Now this is the same person, but now the opposite has taken place with them. And that is now that they have been taken, or that wealth has been restricted from them. And now when they are tested and tried, and again that word bala, referring to a calamity, because in this situation of poverty or having a very difficult time or, or, or living in, in, in times of restriction because of, of, of a lack of means, this is how they respond. فَقَدَرَ عَلَيْهِ رزقه. And Allah Azzawajal restricts their provision upon them. And this is the reading of the majority, فَقَدَرَ But the reading of Ibn Amir, Al-Shami, and Abu Ja'far Al-Madani, Ibn Amir lived in Damascus, Abu Ja'far was from the scholars of Medina, from the Qurra of Medina, they read it with a shadda. فَقَدَّرَ عَلَيْهِ رِزْقَهُ فَقَدَّرَ 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 is an even tighter straightening of the means, meaning that they have even less. فَقَدَّرَ عَلَيْهِ رِزْقَهُ Their revision has been, or their provision has been restricted. فَقَدَّرَ عَلَيْهِ It has been even more restricted. Because people clearly, just as people uh, you know, have different levels of wealth, there are different levels of poverty as well. So some people may lose some of their wealth. Or some people may be in difficult times and straits. And other people may lose all of their wealth. So they're left penniless and essentially they've become destitute from a position of wealth. And Imam Al-Tabari, rahimahullah ta'ala, he says in the tafsir of this verse, that Allah, says, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that when he tries his servant by giving them poverty, so just as he tried them by giving them wealth, he tries them here by giving them poverty, فَقَدَرَ عَلَيْهِ رِزْقَ so Allah restricts their provision upon them. So they don't have much wealth and they don't have many other blessings. Then he also says, this person says, my Lord has humiliated me through poverty. So this person doesn't thank Allah at times of goodness, nor are they patient upon the, the trial that Allah has given them in times of poverty and in times of difficulty. And he says, Rahmatullah and this person doesn't thank Allah for the fact that they still are able to use their body and that Allah has still given them good health. And so this person is still you know, completely uh, neglectful of Allah's blessings. Yes, one blessing has been taken away, but how many other blessings has Allah left for you? So maybe you don't have the wealth that you, are, that you are accustomed to, that you wanted and you coveted, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala still gave you good health. You still have your family with you. You still have a house over your head. You still have some means and ability to do certain things. So Allah has still favored you in many ways. So the person of Iman is the one who always knows that their most precious blessing is that blessing of Iman. And so long as that blessing of Iman remains with them, then that is a sure and true sign of the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for them. And as for everything else, it is a test to see whether they, whether they, whether they deserve to keep that honor of Iman. If they turn to Allah at times of goodness and at times of hardship, then inshallah ta'ala that is a good sign that they deserve it. 
But if there are people who don't do that, then the Iman is extremely weak and there's something which they should be afraid for. That is more difficult than the other one. So a person who has everything in this world, but they don't have Iman, they don't have Islam, they don't have belief in Allah Azza wa Jalla or fear of Him, that person doesn't have any blessing in reality. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and that's why it's mentioned in some of the hadith, it's a hadith in, in a Tirmidhi, and it is, even though it may be weak in its chain of narration, its meaning is correct, and that is why the scholars often mention it, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives this world to those whom He loves and those whom He does not love. But Allah Azza wa Jalla only gives Iman to those whom He loves. And that's an amazing hadith. And even though the hadith, the wording, as we said, you know, the scholars differ of its authenticity, but the meaning is correct. And it's well established in the Quran and the Sunnah that Allah gives this dunya to everyone. The people that he loves, the people that he doesn't love. The believers and the disbelievers, the Muslims and the non-Muslims. But Allah Azza wa only gives Iman to the people that he loves, subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is what Al-Imam Al-Tabari is saying. And Imam Al-Qurtubi, rahimahullah ta'ala, says something very similar. That this person only thinks that they the honor and dishonor is in the materialistic sense, Imam Qurtubi says. So if a person has a great amount, they consider it an honor. And if they have a great or less amount, they consider it to be dishonorable. Whereas for the believer, they know that true honor is that Allah gives them the honor and the ability to worship Him and obey Him subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it gives them the ability to take to, to, to be upon the path that will lead them to the Akhirah. And if Allah gives them a great deal, therefore, in this dunya, they thank Allah for it. And if He doesn't, then they are patient upon it. And Allah and then Imam Qurtubi says, Al ayatani sifa tu kulli kafir. And these two verses are the description of every disbeliever. Wa kathirun min al muslimin. And many of the Muslims think that that which Allah gave to them uh, from karama and from honors and so on, that is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they may say, because of the ignorance of this, were it not due to me, were, were it not my right, were I not deserving of it, then Allah wouldn't have given it to me. Meaning he's saying that many Muslims fall in a similar trap. They may not be worshipping Allah, they may not be doing much in terms of good, but Allah has given them much comfort in this dunya. And so they consider that to be a sign of Allah's express approval and pleasure. And Imam Qurtubi is saying that they're falling therefore into the same mistake that Allah is warning against in these two verses. And so it is a test for both those that are given wealth and those who are not given wealth. Ibn Kathir rahimahullah ta'ala says something very similar. On the other hand, meaning in this verse, Allah is referring to the other hand, the other person, that is the person who doesn't have a great deal that Allah tests them with them and because of that they think that Allah has disgraced and humiliated them. And Imam Ibn Qayyim rahimahullah ta'ala, he says, then essentially these two verses show that those people that Allah gives to them blessings are not necessarily honored. And those people that Allah Azza wa gives to them poverty or doesn't give to them those blessings of materialism doesn't necessarily mean that Allah Azza wa has dishonored them. Right? And that is the essential point to remember here because the people of Ad and Thamud and Pharaoh rejected their prophets and the other nations as well, even the Quraysh at the beginning of Islam, they rejected their prophets and their messengers and the truth because they considered what they had of the dunya to be a sign that they were upon the truth and upon goodness. Right? And that's what most people do. People believe because the system that they live in, they live in a democratic society, they do this, they do that, because of what they have gives them pleasure or it gives them happiness or it gives them certain freedoms or whatever. Therefore, it must be something which is pleasing to God or it must be something which is a good system. That is not how it works in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah Azza wa Jalla has told people that all of this life 
is a test and therefore everything which they experience therein is a test from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah Azza wa in the beginning of verse 17 will disabuse us of this notion. He will completely reject this because he begins verse 17 by saying, Kalla, no indeed. Meaning that which you thought in verses 15 and 16, that if you're given something, it's honor. If you're withheld from something, it's dishonor. No, that is not the way that it works. But inshallah, we will come on to this verse next week. But just to mention that, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself rejects this notion at the very beginning of verse 17. But inshallah ta'ala, we will look at this in more detail next week. ta'ala. Okay, so if there's any questions, inshallah, we'll take them. Otherwise, we will conclude for today. Rashida is asking, my daughter is asking, if a person is not forgiven by another person on the Qantara, will they have to go to the Hellfire? No. So what seems to be apparent in Allah knows best is that the people of the Qantara will go into Jannah. Because if they were people that weren't going to be forgiven, either by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or those oppressions that they had committed were too grave to be forgiven by one way or another, then those people wouldn't proceed upon the, uh, you know, they wouldn't have gone above, over and above uh, the, 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 the Hellfire into the Qantara. But once they reach the Qantara, then it's just a matter of deciding their level in Jannah. So maybe that person has enough good deeds that they won't enter into the fire. But some of those good deeds will be given to someone else. So therefore, their, 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 their scale, inshallah, will be balanced. But it is an issue of level. And so therefore, for the believer that wants to attain the highest levels of Jannah, it's not just the issue of reaching the Qantara, but they want the highest levels of Jannah. And so that's why they try to stay away from that type of oppression. Number one, obviously, because they don't know whether that will be enough to get them to the Qantara, to that stage. But also because the believers want to be as close to the highest levels of Jannah with the Prophet ﷺ and those whom Allah has favored, uh, they want to be as close to them uh, in the, uh, to the best level possible. Uh, Sumer is asking, please can you suggest any nice gift, good book I can give to a friend of mine who has memorized the Quran? I don't know. I don't know if I'm the best person to ask that question to. Um, if, if there's someone who's memorized the Quran, I think one of the nicest things that you could give to them would be a good tafsir book that you think they would read. I would personally recommend tafsir al-Sa'di. I mean, it's a bit pricey. I don't know what. You didn't give me a price uh, range. It's a nice book of tafsir. And if they follow the reading of it that we're doing in Ramadan or they just read it themselves, um, I think that would be good to give them something they could use, inshallah ta'ala, to increase their knowledge in the Quran. I think that that would be something which they would benefit from. Or you enroll them maybe in a course that's doing like a tafsir course that they can probably, I know there's some paid courses where people do the whole Quran in a year, a, a basic tafsir, maybe something like that would be good. Uh, Hamza is asking, I'm new to this program, any advice to catch up on the old lessons? My advice would be that you take one new lesson and one old lesson. So inshallah, if today you're, you're following us, I wouldn't say that you stop following the new lesson. So next week you carry on following. And alongside you do one lesson a week from the old as well because that's some, uh, not something too burdensome. Our, as you can see, our general lessons are about an hour. So to do the one lesson now and just to do like another hour during the week, if you can do more, do more. But if you can't do more, at least do one hour. And over that time, inshallah ta'ala, over the next two, three years, you'll have caught up with Nilahi ta'ala. Okay, so inshallah ta'ala, we'll conclude there. Barakallahu feekum. Wa sallallahu Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. وآخر دعوانا الحمد لله رب العالمين والسلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته